This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome to The Bunker, your need to know on news and politics. I'm Laura Macon Isherwood. Water. It is the basis of all life, and yet us humans seem to be just using and abusing this precious resource. Over the last few months, the state of our water systems has been under the spotlight, awash with news of sewage being pumped into rivers because the pipes simply can't cope anymore. And that's on top of those individuals who think it perfectly acceptable to do a bit of fly-tipping in canals. So are our waterways on a one-way route to sludge, or can they be saved? And what will it take to clean things up? Here to discuss all all that and more is Professor of Physical Geography at the University of Manchester, Jamie Woodward. Hi, Jamie. Hello, Laura. Well, let's dive straight in then. I feel like geographers don't often get the accolades they deserve. And I'm not just saying that because I am one. I studied physical geography myself. But you do really have to immerse yourself in so many disciplines within that subject. It's not just map reading. What was it that led you to focus on river systems? Well, it was my uh, geography undergraduate program uh, at Aberystwyth and the, and the re- research I've done since then. But you're absolutely right. I think geographers are uniquely positioned to deal with the complexities at, at, at the river basin scale and the way that humans and rivers interact. So I've been interested in rivers for a long time, but particularly how humans interact with rivers. Um, that could be in the Nile Valley in Sudan over 5,000 years ago and the River Mersey in Manchester microplastics at the, at the present day. So the thread through that, the sort of geographical thread is how humans interact with rivers. That's my main interest. So how important is a river system for our lives, our health? River systems are absolutely crucial. They're the, they're the lifeblood of the nation in, in many respects. But apart from all the well-being aspects of, of uh, interacting with river systems and those green spaces, they're the fundamental building blocks of, of many ecosystems. So our wetlands, whether it's rivers or lakes, it's so important to ensure that they they have good ecological status. Many creatures reproduce there, they feed there. So they're they're the key building blocks for our ecosystems. And if if we want to enhance biodiversity, we have to take good care of our wetlands and our river systems. Centuries gone by, I imagine if you popped over to the Thames, it would be a completely different picture to what we're seeing now in terms of water quality. So what is it that's led to this degradation, I suppose, of water within our landscapes? Well, there's a there's a common picture ac- across the UK. I mean, I, I'm here in Manchester now. Local river here is, is the River Mersey and the River Irwell. And um, the Mersey was, used to be the dirtiest river in Europe. And it, it was cleaned up in the late 80s and 1990s. And in 1999, it won the World Rivers Prize. But what we've seen over the last 13, 14 years or so is, we tragically, we've gone backwards. Um, we've had a focus on, on deregulation. The Environment Agency has been underfunded. And we've had the perfect storm, really. Regulation has been weakened in the agricultural sector. There are fewer farm visits now, but particularly the water companies. And the water companies have ruthlessly exploited a pretty much a regulation-free environment. So they've been allowed to dump sewage um, across England on an industrial scale. And, uh, and clearly that has to stop. There's been a real focus on that sewage outlet 
I suppose, using the river as a place to dump sewage, with water companies saying it's because old systems, old infrastructure simply can't cope with the amounts of rainfall we're having. And so it's a case of having overflow and that's the only place to put it. Is that completely true? Well, there are a lot of tired old arguments that the water companies keep peddling out. I mean, for example, most of our sewage system is not Victorian. Um, where I am in, in Manchester, for example, the local, local water company here, United Youth is talking about, well, there's very high rainfall in this part of the world. Well, the fact that it rains in Manchester is not, not really news. I think we've known that for <laughs> a long time. The fact is, is that the water companies have not invested um, sufficiently in their infrastructure to cope with increases in population and in- increases in runoff. So um, in terms of, and I don't like the term spills because that suggests they're accidental, the actual dumping of sewage in rivers has become routine. There's been a public outrage across England because water companies have made huge profits and shareholders have done very, very well on the back of that. I would argue that, you know, any other industry, this is this is the large scale dumping of toxic waste in the environment, but the water companies get a free pass to do it. How have they got away with it? Well, number of things. The Environment Agency's budget, the monitoring budget has been slashed since 2010. So they've lost the capacity to monitor what the water companies are doing. The water companies were also given permission to to monitor and self-report their own discharges. They effectively mark their own homework. And there's been, apart from a a few good high-profile examples, on the whole, the water companies um, haven't responded to being fined. They just take that as part of their business model. So there isn't a sufficient deterrent in the system to stop the dumping of sewage. And in fact, it's become baked in in a very, very profitable business model. And the casualties of that have been our river systems. How damaging is it to the river system for this to be happening on such a regular basis? Well, dumping sewage in rivers slowly degrades the ecosystem. Um, You get far too many nutrients coming into the river system. Many of the rivers around Greater Manchester that I work on are a little better than extensions of the sewage network. But in terms of the ecosystem, you get blue-green algae, you get sewage fungus on the riverbeds, and the the system gets slowly degraded and over-fertilised. And there's a public responsibility here as well. There's, there's, you know, we see wet wipes and sanitary products on the riverbed and on the riverbanks, and it's really grim. And that's become a very graphic illustration of how much sewage is actually being dumped in the rivers. I mean, it is grim when you think of it like that, the amount of stuff that is basically chucked into our waterways, and particularly of late when you know open water swimming has become so fashionable. We're seeing more and more people heading into our rivers, ponds, um, other water bodies, How much of a problem then is it for people if we are trying to use our waterways like the rivers, also the seas? I grew up in Cornwall where surfers against sewage have been talking about this for decades. How problematic can it be for human health? The dumping of sewage, it's not just sewage, it's it's other pollutants as well. The sewage is untreated wastewater. It's a whole cocktail of of, of pollutants, including microplastics, which we'll we'll get on to to talk about. So there's a clear and present danger to public health. If you if you swim in a river or in a coastal environment where sewage has been dumped, there's a very high chance that you will get ill. And you could get seriously ill with you know with with, with vomiting and diarrhea, etc. Because these wastewater discharges are full of full of pathogens and harmful bacteria. So you mentioned surface against sewage. I mean the the, the I'm an optimist and the, some of the bright lights are is that the campaigning is working. There's some fantastic examples of, of um, local groups campaigning such as Windrush against sewage pollution in the Cotswolds, the Ilkley Clean Rivers Group in Yorkshire on the River Wharf. It's no surprise then that the water companies are actually now investing in those locations. So the good news is campaigning works. So my message is to get out there and campaign and complain about this. Now clearly Fergal Shark has been in the vanguard. He's the sort of celebrity 
front man who's you know in the front line on this but there's there's a lot of local people up and down the country campaigning very very effectively and they've been badly let down by the system and in manchester i see if you live in a greater manchester for example your only green space very often is your local river corridor so in terms of well-being um there's a whole range of reasons apart from the, the clear public health issue why this is um this is a catastrophe Let's talk about farms as well, because as well as, as you say, human waste, there's also things like surface runoff coming off farmers' fields with those fertilisers and and they're running into rivers as well. How much regulation is there in terms of ensuring that people who use the land, who are pushing effluent into the waterways, are abiding by certain standards? The uh, legislation is there and there's there's lots of good advice about how to dispose of, of farm waste. But um, again, over the last decade, if you take the River Wye, for example, I think there are 20 million chickens now in the River Wye catchment. So they're producing huge amounts of um, huge amounts of chicken poo that's spread on agricultural land. So all those nutrients get washed into the river. So the river's full of algae. Uh, it gets over-fertilized. That takes up all the oxygen. So you slowly started to kill the ecosystem. I think it was Liz Truss who boasted about the, the, how they'd cut farm visits when she was environment minister. So... I mean, there are a lot of really good farmers out there who want to do the right thing, who are, who are conscious about their, their environmental impact. But um, I've argued before that the Environment Agency who do these farm visits and with DEFRA and who monitor the rivers, um, funding the Environment Agency is just as important as funding the NHS because the health of our rivers is key to the health of the nation. So um, they have to be given the capacity and the resources so, so they can plan ahead and monitor what, what agricultural impacts are having and what the water companies are doing. And at the moment, there are lots of fantastic professionals in the Environment Agency. Many of my former students work there, but they're often frustrated because they're poorly led and they don't have the resources to do what they need to do. In the last week or so, the UK government has announced proposals that could see developers, so housing developers, no longer having to offset nutrient pollution that's caused by building new homes. So what does that mean for the layman? And if it passes, what would that mean for our waterways? Well. This concept of nutrient neutrality is that a new development should not have a negative impact on the local river system in terms of increasing the, the, cons- the amount of nutrients that go into that river. So if you build a housing development, for example, all those people will, pr- will produce waste, they'll produce sewage, uh, which in theory will go to local wastewater treatment works, but the, a proportion of that will end up in the river system. So it could, it could increase the amount of nutrients. So there are lots of negative impacts. So the government's Initiative this week to, to to get rid of new the proposal to get rid of nutrient neutrality is a is a is a is a disaster and it's, it sends out a huge message that basically the polluter no longer pays and I think recently just a few days later the farming sector now they also want to get out as well from this as well so it sets a a hugely damaging precedent and the new office for environmental protection um, have also criticised the government for this move. So it's a, it's a bad move all round. Yeah, we need to build more houses, but we can, we can do it in an environmentally sustainable way. We have the, the wherewithal to do that. How's it? My name is Lassetti. I'm a toy leader with Explore. Come on, let me show you something. Oh, careful. Can you see it? Oh, trust me. It can see you. There, between the trees. It's not every day you get to see a rhino on a walk. I guess not everyone is taken to the right places, but you will be if you explore. For global adventures, search exploreworldwide.co.uk and don't just travel, explore. Buonasera, my name is Marcello. 
I am a tour leader with Explore. Ciao. Come, follow me. Behind this 200-year-old gate is the best view of one of Rome's finest fountains. Ah, oh, bellissima. Look at the Renaissance detail, the sunlight in the bronze. Not everyone knows about Turtle Fountain, but you will if you explore. Search exploreworldwide.co.uk and don't just travel. Explore. So talk to me about some of the research that you've been doing then, specifically on the presence of microplastics, those tiny particles that have been banned from a lot of cosmetics, body washes, things like that. But you found them in rivers still. We began this research about six years ago. I started thinking, actually, I'm watching Blue Planet on the TV. I was watching David Attenborough talking about microplastics in the oceans. And I think, well, where are all these microplastics coming from in the oceans? They must be coming from rivers. And they must be coming from big, dirty cities where you have lots of industry and lots of people, like Manchester, for example. So we started thinking about, well, are the rivers around Manchester likely to be contaminated with microplastics? So we started to look. and had a fantastic PhD student, Rachel Hurley, and a colleague of mine at the University of Manchester in geography called James Rothwell. We sampled the riverbeds. We found microplastics everywhere. That was a surprise. And in some places, we found very, very high concentrations. And there's a site on the River Tame, for example, uh, not far from Stockport, where it got a lot of press coverage because it, at that point, it was the most contaminated site in the world in terms of microplastics. I think it still is. Where are they coming from? Well, that's a good question. And we got a lot of flooding in the winter of 1516. And I said, well, let's go back and see if those microplastics have been washed away. And we found then that 70% of the microplastics on the riverbed have been washed downstream. So the good news is the rivers will clean themselves. But that also got us thinking, if these microplastics are washed away during flood events, and these rivers flood fairly regularly, um, how are those microplastics being replenished? They must be regularly being introduced into the rivers. And it's well known that wastewater is full of microplastics. But what we also found, Laura, is that we found that floods will wash microplastics away. Now, the water companies are only supposed to discharge untreated wastewater and sewage into rivers when the rivers are in flood under what we call exceptional circumstances. So we started out looking for microplastics because we thought it might have ecological significance. And then we ended up coming up with a tool which allowed us to identify illegal wastewater practice because the very presence of microplastics on the riverbed in very high concentrations means that wastewater treatment wasn't happening and isn't happening as it should. So basically, you're saying if there was a flood, then it's likely that the microplastics would have been washed away. So the fact that they are there means that they're being pushed into the waterways fairly regularly. Absolutely. We, we published a paper in Nature Sustainability in May 2021. We set up as a group of geographers just investigating a local problem in microplastics and then found ourselves you know, slap bang in the middle of a national sewage scandal because we, we were the first to link microplastic contamination of rivers with the sewage scandal. We found they were one and the same thing. And so we parked that front and centre at the water company's door. And of course, they didn't like it. And the local water company here, United Utilities, released a statement on the website. They pushed back against that. They tried to undermine our findings. How? How did they try to undermine it? What were they saying? Well, they suggested that our sampling methodology was flawed. They suggested we hadn't interpreted the data correctly. This is classic tactics of the water companies. And guess what? Two and a half years later, they still haven't come up with a better explanation and our, and our conclusions. And you mentioned microbeads in personal care products. Now, we find a lot of microbeads on the riverbeds still. These are coming from industrial processes. Now, these are primary microplastics that are manufactured for a particular purpose. So they're a clear connection with the wastewater system. The only way they can get in the river is being washed in by wastewater. And we know that wastewater treatment is actually very, very effective at removing microplastics. It will remove between 95 and 99% of the microplastics. So the fact that we're seeing huge concentrations of microplastics on the riverbed means the water companies aren't doing what they should be doing. So we, 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 it, this was a, 
another angle on, um, you know, to add to the monitoring and all the other evidence to show that wastewater treatment wasn't happening as it should. Do you think that if you hadn't carried out this work, then water companies might still be operating in that way? Well, there was other research as well. There's Peter Hammond, um, a retired professor in the Cotswolds, who's part of the Windrush Against Sewage Pollution Group. Just two months before our paper came out, he, he'd done forensic analysis of water company data from wastewater treatment plants. And he showed conclusively that water companies were basically underreporting their spillages. And we were only seeing the tip of the iceberg. So we, we've, we've been just talking ever since then. And we, we're kind of part of the sewage gang now, which is Virgil Sharkey, the, 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 the Windrush Group, the Ilkley Group, and, and our work in Manchester. So, of course, the water companies didn't like an, another big problem, plastic pollution of our rivers. And our work had also shown that rivers are the main supplier of microplastics to the ocean. So there's a much broader responsibility here for treating wastewater. If you want to solve David Attenborough's microplastic contamination of the oceans problem, you've got to keep microplastics out of rivers. And the best way to keep microplastics out of rivers is to treat the wastewater. Now, there's obviously a broader problem here as well, is that there's individual responsibilities because, you know, the water companies don't have control of what comes into their wastewater treatment plants, but they are responsible for treating that, whatever comes to their plants. How easy is it, though, for those companies to actually clean up their act, to do what they're supposed to do? Because clearly they're struggling at the moment, aren't they? Well, they're struggling with a PR disaster. That's what they're struggling with. And on the May the 23rd this year, uh, Water UK, which is the punch bag for the water industry, they released an apology on behalf of the industry in England. They apologised that um, sewage discharges were far too frequent and they apologised for going far too slowly on investing in the infrastructure um, to reduce sewage discharge into rivers. But dumping sewage in rivers has been a very, very convenient way of, uh, of maintaining their profit levels and maintaining their shareholder dividends over many years. But the, the monitoring and the work of campaign groups has now exposed that. So the water companies are now struggling to accelerate investments to catch up. So, um, But of course, many of them are very heavily indebted uh, and they're finding that um, they 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 can't right, raise the revenue to do what's needed. And it's not going to it's not going to be sold overnight. We have to use less plastic and, and create less plastic waste, of course. But I'm a pragmatist. That isn't going to happen anytime soon. So the best solution is for the water companies to treat the wastewater, which is what they're legally obliged to do, and what we pay our bills for. I can hear in your voice how excited you are about your research. You know, it has obviously changed things, and you're basically a detective agency. We didn't know when we started this work that it was going to end up in Westminster. So that's exciting. You know, a group of geographers at Manchester, you know, what we thought was a curiosity-driven piece of environmental research that we found really interesting suddenly had policy legs. We're, we're pleased about that, but that, that's it's been a really interesting journey. But what's a broader interest here, Laura, is that, you know, it's not the Environment Agency or Ofcom, the economic regulator, the financial regulator. They weren't the ones to spill the beans on the sewage scandal. It was campaigners. So I take satisfaction from that but i'm also encouraged by that is that you know public campaigning can work so get off your backside get out there and, and campaign and make a noise complain to your water company and make sure they accelerate the investment to clean up your local river that's really important but at the same time you know off companies to get its act together and the environment agency needs to be properly funded and well led that is critical are you optimistic that with the right support from the public that things will get better yes i am but where we are now, the dumping sewage is still incredibly profitable, and that has to change. There isn't sufficient incentive now for the water companies to, to, to clean up their act. So the government needs to get much tougher in terms of making sure it's the water companies who pay for the investment, 
to increase the capacity of the wastewater treatment works, to increase the capacity of the sewerage network. That isn't going to happen overnight. But there's a frustration that since privatization, which was 1989-1990, so uh, the money's been in the system. That's the frustration. But it's been um, spaffed. I think somebody used that term on, on, share, on shareholder dividends and on executive bonuses, excessive profits. And the casualties have been the public and the ecology of our river systems, which at the moment, only 14% of rivers in England have good ecological status. And if we carry on as we are, that number is going to carry on to decline. So that will be catastrophic. We need to, we need to turn that around. And tell me then, what's next for your research? Who are you going to take down next? We've got some interesting microplastics data that we're, we're writing up at the moment that we're going to publish that, that I think makes a very, very clear link between the wastewater system and the contamination of the rivers. But the other thing that I've also asked for, Laura, is, is now is the time for much greater transparency in the industry. The industry needs to be much clearer about what they're doing. Because I think the metrics that we use at the moment in terms of sewage discharges, we get two numbers. They tell us the duration of the discharges, so how long they last in terms of hours, and they tell us the, how, how often they happen, how frequent they are. But they don't tell us anything about volumes. And uh, I've seen local rivers here in Manchester on the River Irwell with huge discharges of wastewater, and that just counts as a single spill. So the water companies often have these data, but they're not releasing them. They need to be much more transparent about how much sewage and how much wastewater they're dumping in our rivers, because at the moment they're not telling us that's also a scandal. Well, with that, I think I'm going to go have a nice, clean drink of water. So, Professor Jamie Woodward, thank you so much for joining me in the bunker. Thank you very much. Listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, why not support The Bunker on Patreon to keep conversations like this going? For as little as £3 a month, you can get extras, including getting the episodes ad-free. I'm Laura Makinishawood. Thanks for listening. Namaskaram. My name is Nayad. I'm a tour leader with Explore. Come, follow me for a breakfast you will never forget. Namaste. Because you are going to make an incredible masala dosa under the watchful eye of my mom. Each home adds their special touches. Mm. But not everyone gets to join in a traditional family meal. You will if you explore. For global adventures, search exploreworldwide.co.uk and don't just travel, explore. Good news, your favourite history nerds are back. Yes, we at We Are History have been trawling the history shelves of our local bookshops. Well, I have, John. You mostly went round finding your books and moving them to the front of the displays. If I can find them, it's a bonus. We are ready to tell you all about what we've learned, from the revolting French to some revolting women. Via some Brits abroad and a foul-mouthed Irishman. So, download We Are History. Our laughable attempt at a silly history podcast. With me, John O'Farrell and me, Angela Barnes wherever you get your podcasts The Bunker was presented by Laura Makin Isherwood and produced by Chris Jones assisted by Adam Wright Audio editor was me, Robin Lieber Art is by Jim Parrott our music by Kenny Dickinson Managing editor is Jacob Jarvis, group editor Andrew Harrison, and The Bunker is a Podmasters production.